0: I figure I'll go ahead and be honest up front. My computer died while I was at a conference in Dallas this week. Mike was there. He can attest to that. And so I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to say this morning, but we'll find out. Um, I I know a little bit, so we'll, we'll give it a go. We're in the middle of our Ephesians sermon series, and as a reminder, I would say we're preaching through it here in church, and we're reading selected passages to focus on. But please join us at home. Read through it with us at home. We have study guides, I think. Were they handed out? They're in your handouts today for this week's study guide. And, and you'll notice it doesn't exactly match the sermon series, but it does get us reading Ephesians together, and that, that's the point. And so you'll, you'll find themes that we're preaching on that are, that are in the study guide and they are in the book. And I just invite you to join us. I think it'll be fun and a great thing for us. And if paper is not your thing, you can... Um, you can find it on the internet. It's on the front page, stpaulsomerville.org. Let's see. So we're in Ephesians. We're in chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, feel free to pull them up. We're in chapter 2 of Ephesians, and we're talking about the aha moment. The aha moment. And And what you would notice if you read through most of Paul's letters is that they follow a similar theme. And so they start, and last week we talked about what God did for us in Jesus Christ. What God did for us in Jesus Christ. And this week, we have the aha moment. We we read the scriptures and we say, oh, aha, I see what God's work looks like in my life. And we're presented with an opportunity. Do we want to accept that work on our behalf or do we want to let it go? That's the aha moment. And then if you accept that, the third part of Paul's letters and what will compromise the last three or four weeks of this series is what that looks like lived out in Christian community and what it looks like lived out as we go out into this world. And so the, the last couple of weeks we'll be talking about how we live together as Christians and how we interact with the world and how we interact with God. So this week, we're at the aha moment, and you'll remember from last week what God did. Chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So what God has done is offered us salvation. Salvation from what? Well, the beginning of that chapter tells us salvation from sin. Salvation from our separation from God. And in Christ, those who have faith in him, those who have believe believe in him are reconciled to God by grace. By grace, which means it's a free gift. He gives it to us. We don't earn it. We don't do anything to get it. It's grace. And so we come today and we see what are the consequences of that sin. What are the consequences? But first, I'll I'll show you a quick story. I have um, in my house a few different names. Obviously, one of them is Tyler. Um, One of them is Daddy. One of them is Daddy Tyler. One of them is Benjamin. But lately, uh, the favorite name for my children to call me has been But Daddy. But Daddy. And so I say perhaps, okay, it's time to set the table. But Daddy... It's time to go to bed, but daddy, it's time to take a bath, but daddy. And what my children are looking for is um, a change in the status, a change in their status. They have been, um, in their view, I guess, condemned to setting the table or condemned to going to bed. And they want a new status, and they say, but daddy. And I want you to remember that. Just hang on to that. Put it in your pocket. Hang on to it. We'll get back to it. Um, Because we're all looking for a but daddy. Daddy. We're all looking for a change in status. And the reason is this. In chapter 2, verse 11. Remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, obviously. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope. And without God in the world. So we see this passage. And we see a therefore. And and that therefore is saying, what I just said has something to do for you right now. Therefore. And what Paul wants them to do is not forget where they came from. In those days, by the time of Jesus, the Bible really only knows of two types of people. Two types of people. The first type of person is a member of God's people, a member of the nation of Israel, a member of the Jewish people. their descendants from Abraham. <clears throat> the second type of person is a Gentile, which basically means you're not part of God's people. You either are or you aren't. Those are the two people that the Bible speaks of. And so, <clears throat> Paul here is reminding his Gentile brothers and sisters, these are Christians in Ephesus, that they at one time were not part of God's people. And what did that mean? Well, they weren't descendants from Abraham. God promised Abraham that his descendants would number the stars in the sky. That they would inherit a promised land. And and we find in Exodus, God promises again that these people would be a light to the nations. And by the time of Jesus, they actually weren't being much of a light. And they really didn't have the land. They were under foreign rule and God's presence wasn't really with them. And so a further promise that the Jewish people believed was that God was going to rescue them. They had hope that God was going to come back and restore the land, but not for those Gentiles, just for us Jewish folks. And Paul is saying to these Gentile Christians, that was your status. You know, before Before Jesus, you were out there. You were separated from God. You were not part of these promises. You were not part of Israel. You had no hope. The hope was reserved for Israel. For those, this whole passage about circumcision, that was a sign of being a member of the nation of Israel. A sign of being a part of God's covenant people was circumcision. And then God's covenant people were expected to follow the law Lest an angry God punish them and make them Gentiles as well. And so that's what they remember. And then we get to what I would say are the four most important words in this text. Five most important words in this text, maybe. And this is, I would say, aha moment number one. But now in Christ. But now. I'm but daddy. My kids want something different. They want a new status. They want to be able to to, to have freedom. To have freedom to go and, and, and do what they want to do. And that's not the freedom we look for. But we look for a new status. We're without hope. But now, in Christ, we have hope. But now, in Christ Jesus, we are no longer separated from God. But now, in Christ Jesus... We have salvation. And so, verse 13, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So we're no longer without hope. Aha! Jesus Christ offers us a hope. As I I look out across this room today, I imagine that There are some folks here that have no hope, that are without hope in this world. Now, this, is, this is a lie, okay, this, this idea that we have no hope is a lie, and there's, there's two ways that we are fed this lie, I feel like, in the world. In one way, the lie says this, well, you think you have no hope, but really, if you deep, dig deep down inside of yourself, you can find hope. You can find inner peace, inner tranquility. And so, so we go out and we look for this hope somehow. Maybe if we just worked harder and faster and better and maybe got a few more things, we'd have a little bit of hope. Or maybe if we get the latest self-help books about how I can find my inner power, maybe I'll just have a little bit of hope. Maybe if I eat the right foods or meditate in the right positions or if I think positive thoughts, maybe I'll have an inner hope. But that's not hope. That's not hope. The, the further we dig, the deeper we dig within ourselves, the only thing we're going to find is a big old pile of sin. I read somewhere, I don't know where this came from, it was a rule about holes. And the first rule about holes is that when you're in one, stop digging. Stop digging. Because hope Hope is found when we stop digging. So so lie number one, that we can somehow find hope ourselves. Lie number two is simply that it just doesn't exist. Do what you want. Who cares? Eat, drink, and be merry. Or eat, drink, and be sad. There's no hope. That's a lie, friends. Paul says that's a lie. What does Paul say? But now in Christ, but now in Christ we have hope. We're no longer separated from God. We have hope, hope in the cross. This, this cross is what gives us hope. It's this cross that Jesus said, your life has meaning, your life has purpose. Your life is to live for God and I'm going to help you do that. I'm going to enable you to do that by dying, by taking your sin so that you could abide with God. So we have hope. That's the aha moment that Christ has saved us by grace. Aha! I have hope in my life. Hope for a future in the presence of God. Hope for for a present in the presence of God. And hope for eternal life. But that's just the first part because it's not simply a future hope. As we read on, we'll note here, this, this is important, The the reconciliation of this Jew-Gentile problem, these two people, wasn't simply to make Gentiles Jewish. That's not the answer, Is to make everybody who wasn't Israel be a part of Israel. Paul doesn't say, okay, now you have hope, so you get to follow the law. Or now you have hope, so you have to be circumcised. No, he doesn't say that. He says, you have hope, and how does it happen? Well, verse 14... For Jesus himself is our peace, who has made us both one. Okay, so both. He's made both of us one. Jew and Gentile. Something's happened to both of them in Jesus Christ. He's broken down in in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God. Jew and Gentile both need reconciliation. The only thing the law does, the only thing these, these covenant, not the covenant promises, but the only thing these rules do is divide us, divide us right in half. Some do the rules, some don't. But nothing brings us to God without wall in the middle. And so, so Paul is saying that Jesus has abolished this law so that Jew and Gentile can be saved. Now, that's pretty amazing. The Jewish folks would not have been real excited about hearing this. They were probably thinking, okay, we can, you know, that's a great message. Let's let these Gentiles come in. Come on in, guys. Accept the law. Come on in. Be a part of the people of Israel. Come on in. I'll get my knife sharpened. But that's not, that's not the answer. That's not the answer. The answer is that Jesus Christ has abolished this wall of hostility in his place. He put a cross, a cross where we could come together as one body. And so aha moment number two is that there's a present reality to our salvation in Jesus Christ, a present reality that we have a new family, a family who loves us and supports us, a family that we can go sit at the cross with that will walk us through suffering and pain, will be there, for, be there for us in times of joy and happiness. That's what we are called to do. But we've got to recognize this as a word for the church, for the church, because, because often I feel like we are kind of like the nation of, of Israel. We, we believe, even in the church, we still believe lie number one, which is that somehow some way we've got to do something to get this hope, to contribute to this hope. And and in a Christian context, it sounds something like this. Well, God's going to do his part, now I've got to do mine. That's a lie. Or somehow, in the church, it might sound like something like this. I I believe in Jesus, and you know, in the last day, I hope I've done more good things than bad things. That's a lie. Or sometimes it might sound like this. I believe in Jesus, and I'm working really hard on being a good Christian. That's a lie. These are all lies. That's not hope. That's not God speaking. That's our pride. That's our sin thinking. There's no possible way God could just give us this. Surely we've got to do something. Surely we've got to obey some laws. But no, the Ten Commandments, friends, are not going to make you better Christians. Okay? The Ten Commandments will not make us better Christians. Reading our Bible, that's so important. But just because we do it doesn't make us a better Christian. Coming to church every Sunday, going on mission trips, these are good things, but they don't make us better Christians. If our motive is to get better and to do better and to try harder, we're just going to fall flat every single time. That's the law. That's building up this wall of people who do stuff and are good Christians and people who believe in Jesus but aren't good Christians. That's not... That's a lie. This message of grace is that Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ makes us Christians. And so the only thing we can do, the only thing we can do is go to the cross and sit at the cross and have faith in the cross. And when we do that, When we do that, we we come to church, we follow the Ten Commandments, we love God, we read our Bibles, not, not, not because we want to be good Christians, but because we love God. We couldn't help do anything else. Now, we're going to fall down and we're going to sin and we'll go back to the cross, and that's okay. But Jesus makes us Christians. We don't do that. We don't do that. We respond in love. And the point of all this is because our unity is pretty important on that. God, the aha moment for the church is that we're called to be one, and the only way we're going to be one is if we can come to the cross and then forgive each other and love each other like Jesus loved us. Let's start there. Let's impact the world by doing that. That's the aha moment for the church. That's about where my computer died, so I'll close up right now. <laughs> um, we read this passage, and we have two aha moments. One, for for the folks who are sitting there, and, and they have no hope, or they ha- they're trying for hope, and they can't seem to get it. And, and I'm here to tell you, your hope is in Jesus Christ. Because one day, every tongue, or every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And your invitation is to do that right now, right here. And the second aha moment is for the church. We've got to stop worrying about doing and start worrying about being. Being at the foot of the cross. Being with Jesus. Loving each other like he's loved us first. And when that happens, when that happens, God, the Holy Spirit, will fall on this place in a powerful way. And we won't impact the world in the name of Jesus, but God will impact the world in the name of Jesus through us. Amen.